So August 15th of last year, with all the craziness that has happened, it, it just seems like an eternity ago, doesn't it? That's a long time. So if you remember August 15th, that was like everything blowing and going and all of a sudden it got crazy again. And it's been a wild year. But on August 15th of last year, we started working our way piece by piece through the book of Hebrews. And it has been rich. And today, we're going to finish it up. And so just kind of a preview before we ever get started, a little advertisement. Beginning next week, we'll start our new sermon series. It's going to be a little different intentionally, because we've gone through a a meaty, heavy, um, mentally challenging, spiritually challenging book. We're going to go through and have summer in the Psalms. So every single week will be a different psalm. We will walk through the psalm teaching us how to worship better, how to deal with our emotions better, how to look and see God as bigger for who He really, truly is. So I am excited about that. That'll kick off next week. Some of y'all know I am a huge fan of these little journaling Bibles. The uh, psalm book, uh, it's properly, truly called a psalter uh, of this. I think they're $9. It's It's a little bit chunkier, but it is absolutely gorgeous and really, really helpful because you've got places to take notes on every psalm. So if you're interested in that, if that's something that would be helpful to you, grab that before next week. Uh, they have a journaling Bible with all these put together where it's, where it's got an open page on each one as well out there. Um, but get ready for next week, Summer in the Psalms. But as we look back over this last little over, uh, basically nine months, I want you to think about, if you've been here before, and if if you haven't, totally understand, if you give us a little grace, what are some things that stand out to you in your mind from this Hebrew series? What is something you learned? What is something God kind of got to your heart that maybe was in your head, you knew, but like it, it sunk in? It's been a good, good series through this Hebrews book. It has grabbed my heart. One of the things for me, the the thing that has kind of sunk in, is that fighting sin is an act of worship. It, it, It is declaring that Jesus is better than that sin. And it has become so rich to me personally in, in my just not the Sunday morning when we're all together, that corporate worship, but that personal worship side of things. Learning to exalt Christ. Every moment of every day, as much as I can strive to do so, by fighting sin. Um, I, w- I want to do something, if you wouldn't mind, if you're embarrassed to do this, don't, don't worry about it. How many of you have come to Providence during the Hebrew series? Would you just kind of wave your hand, you don't have to stand up or anything like that? How many of you, this is where you start? I know the, the Silvers, anybody? Yeah, we've got a few others. That This is where you started with us. Some of you, <laughs> because it's been nine months, you've not known anything else been good and today we're going to wrap it up so i want us to kind of break this into three little sections here most of the time we're going to focus on verse 20 and 21 this is the benediction i say that in a um a liturgical sense this is where paul closes out the letter with the praise of god and a prayer for the people that's how we'll end the service today too um, by praying this proclamation of the goodness of God and the desire for us to continue on. But there's first two little sections. There's, there's these three little verses here. So look in uh, Hebrews 13, verse 18. I want to read this little section. Pastor Joe preached about leaders a couple of weeks ago. 
But listen to this little snippet about leaders again. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. And I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is a very personal note from the author. He is talking to folks that he genuinely misses. And he's also talking to the folks in a very real way. This is an apostle. I mean, the guy who wrote Hebrews. And he's saying, pray for me. Lift me up. So I want to encourage you. Just again, this is not the main core of the sermon or anything like that. But but as you are going about your daily lives, would you pray for your elders here? There have been so many pastors. We've seen it this year. So many fall. Would you pray for us? We genuinely want to have these clear consciences just like this. We want to finish the race and, and, and be honorable in all things. But we are human like the rest of you. And so we ask for your prayers. We desperately need to be found faithful. And we want to be. I know every elder here would say that. So would you pray for us? Genuinely, put us on your list. Take time. Pray for the leaders of this church. And I, I can't come to this text where it talks about clear consciences and acting honorably in all things without addressing the SBC issue right now and the hundreds of pages of documentation of abuse that has happened in SBC churches, as other churches as well, but, but this specifically SBC churches, and then leadership. Um, pastors who toward the end of their career have stepped into leading a bigger group and have failed horrifically who did not have a clear conscience, who did not act honorably. And so I want to ask you to pray. Pray for a change in the SBC. It meets in two weeks. Pastor Joe will be there. Uh, Pastor Tom from our sister church, Grace, that we planted a few years ago. They're going out there to represent us. But pray for change. Pray for change, please. Um, We cannot allow sexual predators to bounce from church to church, harming victims in the way that we should be protecting institutionally would you pray for wisdom for the conference it's a ma- i mean we're talking was it forty thousand churches this is massive to, so to spin and turn that ship that's that's work so pray um i hope i get to end my career as an sbc pastor sbc paid for most of my education i'm really grateful <laughs> and i hope that this would be my career. But pray for us as a congregation because if things don't change, we will have to. And so pray. Pray for us. All right. Can we get out of that? (laughs) We have to address the issue, but it is dark and grievous. But skip forward a little bit. We're going to skip that 20 and 21. Go to look at verse 22. Much, much, much more encouraging verses right now. Let me read it again to us. Verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers... Bear with my words of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. This is one of the longer books in the New Testament, by the way, but apparently he's like me. Few words, just said over and over and over again. Verse 23, you should know that our brother Timothy, this is Timothy, like book of Timothy, Timothy, to our knowledge, has been released 
with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Now this is a simple section and there's, there's not these massive deep theological truths here, but there is something extremely important theologically that is happening in these verses. The extended family of God. So theological, the, the, the term you'd seen in a theology book is the church invisible or the universal church. It's all believers everywhere of all time. It's, it's my friend that I went to seminary with that I haven't seen for 10 or 15 years down in Texas serving on a river in the middle of nowhere faithful every week preaching the Word. It's the brother I met last week while Nathan and I went camping. And we met a pastor up there who just loved the Lord. Bivocational pastor. Works a very full-time job and then another very full-time job up in Minerva, Ohio. He's just sharing the gospel. And there in the middle of a camp setting, held a worship service and shared the gospel truth with people who Probably haven't stepped foot in a church for a long time. But he loved them faithfully. And shared God's Word. This this bigger thing than you and me. And we forget that. And So let me encourage you today. Let me encourage you to celebrate and rejoice when you run into a brother or sister that you haven't seen for a long time. Let me encourage you to get your, that, you know, magic phone thing that consumes all of our time with wasted time and use it for something good and pick up the phone and call that friend from another church from when you were a kid or a teenager. College students, you're back. That brother or sister in Christ that you met at school, give them a call. Don't miss this greater family of God that we are so blessed with. Pray for some of those folks. Encourage them. Reach out to them. It's a blessing. You'll be happy then you did it. And we don't want to miss the bigger picture of what God's doing. All right. So, excursus number one, excursus number two. I got one more for you before we get into the kind of these core two verses where we're going to spend most of our time today. And that is you'll see in today's text a very clear presentation that God the Father is completely, totally God. And God the Son, Jesus, is completely and totally God. This, this reference to the Trinity, that God is one essence, one being, but three persons. And we don't mean persons like I'm a person, and Jason's a person, and Tony's a person, and the three of us are friends. That, that's not the Trinity. That's way too human, way too, too low way of thinking. God is one being, but eternally expressed and this, this concept that blows our mind is Father, Son, and Spirit. God the Father is eternally begetting, not in a physical sense, not in a human sense, but, but the relationship is Father and Son. And the Son and the Father are proceeding forth with the Holy Spirit of, of true love, perfect love between the Trinity. That's been going on for all eternity and will go on for all eternity. That God is perfectly one God. 
and also perfectly three persons. And if your head's spinning, you're, 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 you're getting at least what I'm saying. But this is so much bigger than us. So let me recommend a book to you. Um, it's called Simply Trinity by Matt Barrett. He's, he's a professor at uh, Midwestern Seminary. But a great book. But we need to be careful. One of the things Baptists have not done as well on is really dealing and grappling with these hard theological topics like the Trinity. And he is a Baptist who does a beautifully wonderful job of sharing and helping us think about what the Bible says about the Trinity. All right, now let's get to it. So verses 20 and 21, would you read these with me again? This is beautiful. This is this prayer, this benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. So I want us to break this down. This is a complicated, it is one sentence, and it is one sentence in the, in the original language, in the Greek as it is written. This is a great translation, by the way. And, and it's long with lots and lots of phrases. So, you know, uh, next year when my daughter goes into um, sixth grade, she's in middle school, and her teacher sends the diagramming the sentence, uh, you know, page to her. She's going to hope and pray she doesn't get this one. Because, I mean, it would, you know, the lines would just be all over the place. But it's so powerful that I don't want us to miss it. And so rather than having you diagram sentences this morning, which didn't sound fun to me, and I know my daughter would not like, we're going to break it down a little easier. I have kind of a, a core of the passage. This is, this is and so I did the sentence diagramming stuff this week. So what is, what is the subject? What's the verb and what's being acted upon? And so that's kind of what I wrote down there for you as the passage core. So here's, let me read this. I'll read it a couple times. Word for word out of this passage, just taking out some of those phrases. May God equip you that you may do His will through Jesus Christ. May God equip you that you may do His will through Jesus Christ. Kids, does this possibly sound at all familiar to maybe our Bible story from this morning? Do y'all, y'all connect? All right, y'all, y'all get where I'm going with this? So this morning we were talking about the end of Joshua and Joshua's challenge to the people. And he says, be very strong to keep the books of Moses. So they're saved. They're in the promised land. Everything's good. And Joshua says, be very strong to keep the books of Moses. In other words, God had saved them. God had placed them. God had brought them through all the hardships. And He still says, you've got work to do. Despite He is the one doing the work. He is the one changing them. He is the one bringing them there. He says, I need you to work hard. You need to be strong in God's Word and obeying it. And that's the call to us today. God is working. We're going to talk about all the amazing, gracious ways He's working in us and how He approaches us. But God is saying that He's going to equip you to do His will. He is actually going to change you, believer, 
into someone who does the will of God through the work of Jesus Christ. And so that's where we're going to get, all right? So let's remember the context of this book and kind of ask some questions is how I'm going to structure this sermon today. Ask the question of the book. We've titled it, Jesus is Better, the whole series. So what does that mean? And this book was written to struggling, persecuted Christians. And they were tempted to turn back to their their old distortion of the Old Testament that had become popular Judaism of the time. It it was a way of legalistically trying to earn the pleasure of God. Trying to, to earn your way into His good graces. And the author of Hebrews systematically walks through and shows that no, Jesus is way better than that plan. Jesus is way better than even a right understanding of the Old Testament. Jesus is way better than those sacrifices. Jesus is way better than those priests. Jesus is way better than Moses. Jesus has a better salvation than Moses gave the people. Jesus is better and better and better all the way through. So, don't go back. Even when it's hard, even when you're persecuted and everything seems wrong, don't fall back into that way, stick with Jesus because he's better. So that's, that's the book in a quick, quick summary. And, and he reiterates this in this prayer. So let me ask three questions of this text, and we'll see if we can kind of pull out all those extra phrases that we don't want to diagram, but we do need to pay attention to. So the first question, if God's going to equip us, how, how does God the Father approach us in our struggles if he's the one that says he's going to act he he says he's going to do something how does he approach a struggling believer and i think this passage really answers it well it starts right there at the beginning now may the god of peace so the first way that the god who equips approaches the struggling believer is as the God of peace. And we talk about that word, but very few times in our life do we understand and and even attempt to comprehend what that word peace is. For us, we talk about a peace as long as we're not fighting something. As long as it's not crazy and wild, uh, it's peaceful. Peace in the Bible is so much more. It's the right way of being it's when everything is as it should be think about all the scripture passages that talk about the garden of eden everything was in harmony things were not broken the husband and his wife were perfectly unified and they were perfectly unified with god they were having fun walking around with god can you imagine that Think about the pictures of heaven and how beautiful and how how everything works. God is the God of peace. And that's how He approaches you in your struggles. Whether that be physical because of health and all the things that we can't control even with our best medical care. Think about the conflict in our lives. About attacks. And I know some of you are in job situations where it's rough. Some of you are in family situations where it's rough. God is the God of peace. So 
Let me give you three specific ways. I think this, this should perk our brains. First, God is at peace within Himself. He is the God of peace. He does not need you to get it right for Him to be at peace. God is not depending on you. Now, that sounds like a silly statement. He's God, right? Of course course not. But that is so powerful. When you are in that struggle and you don't know how you're going to make it, that pressure that we can put, well, if I don't do this, God's going to, if I don't do this, God's going to. There's none of that. And there's calls to do right. There's calls to handle ourselves in a holy way and to please God. But if you blow it in the worst possible fashion, God is still perfectly at peace. And He's the same God He was before you blew it. He's the same loving, kind God who's at peace within Himself. Who forgave you before and because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He will forgive you again. God Himself is at peace. But not only that, and this is, this is so much of the first half of the book of Hebrews, God creates peace between Him, eternal, almighty, everlasting God, complete other, perfectly holy, and sinful, messed up, messy us. That's what Jesus does. He sent Jesus Christ and He created peace between us and God. And not only that, He begins to create peace in your life as a believer. He starts to right the wrong. And I I shared with the kids this morning as we were talking about this, I don't understand why the moment I was saved, God didn't just go click and I have no more sin. That sure would have been nice. Sure would have been easier. But I know Thursday night I lost my temper and I was just grumpy and out of sorts and a pain to be around. I said unkind words. I know in my heart there's sin over and over and over. Even more frequently than what comes out on the outside. I don't understand how it is more glorifying to God to somehow... Have a struggle to be like God. But that's what He did. Again, He is so much bigger than us. But He begins in the believer working and changing and creating from a life of chaotic sin a life of peace. Remember what He tells us to do? We are now agents of reconciliation, of of creating peace. Remember the Scriptures? Blessed are the peacemakers. And so suddenly, God is reinserting His way of kingdom peace back into this world of chaos through people like you as He is working within you. And one day, He's going to come back and peace will reign on this earth again. And there'll never be another tear. There'll never be another sickness. Another flare-up. Another you name it. Peace will reign. So God is the God of peace. That's how He relates to us. 
The second way God relates to us in our struggles is by sending Jesus. Don't miss this. By equipping you with everything good that you may do His will, working us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you're just exploring the claims, of, the claims of Christ, you came with a friend or you just happened to see it and decided this is where you needed to be, we're so grateful you're here. But the good news is, is in your struggles, God related to you. The Bible actually says that while we were still enemies with God, He sent Christ to us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So there is good news for you in the struggle because God sent Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life and then died for our sins. We're going to get into this a little bit more as we go on in the blood of the covenant. He died for our sins. He rose again. Again, we'll hit this a little bit more in this passage. And He calls you now to trust Him. Not to try to work your way back because you can't do it. You'll fail, just like all the rest of us. But to trust Him to have worked on your behalf. To save you. And there's nothing more than I or our other elders, Jeff, Steve over here, some of our other folks would love to chat with you about than how you can trust Jesus today. But God relates to struggling sinners by sending His Son. And third, He relates to us by making an eternal covenant. And that covenant is intimately related to Jesus. It says, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Covenant is a big fancy word for a promise before God. It is a promise involving a third party. And He's made covenants all through Scripture. It started with Adam. Adam was given a covenant. You do this, and God says, I will do this. And Adam blew it. And God still did His part. He didn't have to, but He still made a way to save Adam. And ever since then, things have not been right, but God keeps inserting Himself and pulling people back. He did it with Noah. Noah, a drunkard who had issues with his son. He saves. Beautifully. He makes a covenant. He says, I won't destroy the earth like this again. Because I'm God and I am gracious. And then to Abraham, who was a colossal coward. Who was a lousy dad at times. He becomes the father of believers. He becomes the model of faith. And Abraham receives a one-sided covenant, a one-sided promise. So Abraham couldn't possibly mess it up because Abraham wasn't in it. God didn't even give him the chance. He makes this promise. I'm going to save. I'm going to create a people for myself out of you. And I'm going to bring you into my place to be with me. And you're going to be under my blessing and rule forever. And that covenant just keeps getting promised over and over and over. It's the eternal covenant. And then we keep going. And Moses, the murderer expat, who ran from all his problems, and God plucked out of obscurity... And through the faith of his mother, he was prepared. 
God showed Moses and the people how to live in covenant with Him. He gave them all these rules. Here's how you do this. Here's how you be My people in My place under My blessing and rule. And they messed this thing up so royally before He literally even comes down with the writing on the tablets. They're worshiping an idol. And God is still faithful to His eternal covenant. We come to David murderous, adulterous, violent king with terrible parenting skills. Three out of seven of his kids try to kill him. All right? Now, I am not the best parent. My kids can testify to that. None of them have had to resort to trying to cut my head off yet. Praise God. I mean, he was messed up. But God squeezes that guy into the mold of, quote from the Bible, man after God's own heart. And he was promised an eternal succession of the kingly line. We get to Jeremiah, constantly depressed. He wrote a book called Lamentations. He was certainly the most faithful out of this crew I've listed. And he was reminded that God was not done. It looked like God was done. And God was not done. He had a new, a better version of this covenant coming. And God would be faithful to all these previous interactions of the covenant-making God, creating a people for Himself to live under His glorious blessing of rule. It would be called the new covenant, but it was just a reassertion of the old. And then finally, the complete, better, and that's a key word intentional there, covenant came. It wasn't as words promised by God, but it was a baby born and laid in a manger. He grew. And he lived a perfect life we never could. He died as an offering. The blood of His veins paying the seal of this covenant. And it would be the final, better covenant. Because all of us misfits, all of us who were orphans, could finally be brought into the family of God and start to look a little more like Jesus as we receive Him by faith. God has been keeping His covenant, His eternal covenant from the very beginning. And He's creating a covenant people. And sitting here, as we look around, we're not just seeing a friend We're seeing a brother or sister, but even more beautifully, when I look over, I get to see the grace of God at work. And we need to look at each other that way. And we'll be so much more grateful for each other. We'll be so much more understanding too. But not only does God relate to suffering people with peace by sending Jesus and by making a covenant, we need to know what this Jesus guy, why is he better? I mean, that's, that's the whole point of this book, right? Why is it through Jesus? Why do we need him? And I think, again, there's three reasons why Jesus is better. If you're taking notes there in that fill in the blank. Why is Jesus better? Number one, he is resurrected. Again, from our text. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. 
John 11, 25-27 says this, Jesus said to her, Jesus is talking to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus is the resurrection. All that death and misery that we grieve and we cry over. Family, we've personally been way too close to death this last month. Losing and grieving a dear saint who was my father-in-law. And Jesus says, I got that. Been there. Done that. And I won. Jesus is resurrected. And that's why He's better. And this is a cool thing. This whole time, we've been going nine months through this book, right? I mean, some of y'all, Hebrews seems like the longest book of the Bible. It's not. But I mean, it's, it's a chunk, right? I mean, there's a lot in there. And here's the cool part. The author, he waits for that last punch till this moment. This is the first moment. He's even had to say, you know why Jesus is better? He's alive. This is the first mention of the resurrection in the entire book of Hebrews. He's been able to show us that Jesus is so much better than everything else. And oh yeah, He's alive too. It's the final blow in the argument of why is Jesus better? Because Jesus is alive. The second reason, why is Jesus better? Because Jesus is the good shepherd. John 10, 7 says this, So Jesus said to them again, again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In other words, I make you a sheep. You come in through me. We are literally going through the door of Jesus Christ. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone listens to me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. But that's not what we have He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Those moments when you feel alone and you feel beat, Jesus says, I've given my life for you. And I'm good to you. And I'm going to lead you home. He is a good shepherd. When you don't know what to do, you are at that career crossroads and everything seems to not make sense. Be patient and trust Him. He's a good shepherd. He's leading you. Even if you can't feel it right at that moment. He loves you and will keep you all the way. So Jesus is better because He's resurrected. He's the good shepherd. 
And finally, because He's glorious forever and ever, right at the end there, this, this kind of final exaltation, to Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. I want to read you another Scripture. Not from Revelation. We know how Revelation speaks of Jesus, but listen to Daniel. This same Jesus, again, we're eternal covenant. This is the whole story of Scripture. Daniel 7, 13 says, I saw in a night vision, and behold, the clouds of heaven came, and there was one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him and His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And His kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. Jesus wins in the end. Don't forget it. Jesus wins this thing. Let me do read from Revelation. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it, faithful and true in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. In other words, he has complete control. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. This is not his, this is his enemies. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen and white and pure were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule with the rod of iron. He will tread on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. In other words, all those injustices that we have fought over and over. That court ruling that was so unfair to you in the divorce. That way you were treated, the job promotion that you were not given for unreasonable means. He will make things right. And on his robe and on his thigh, in other words, he's got the uniform and he's either tatted up or has the war paint on. It is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ will have eternal glory. More than we can even imagine. So why is Jesus better? It's simple. He's got the past taken care of. Death is no more. He's got the present taken care of. He's shepherding you and guiding you. And He's got the future taken care of. He's got this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better hurting things. Next question. How does He better equip us? How does He equip you? There's three reasons. By Jesus' blood. We've talked about this already. That, that Jesus' blood is enough to save you. He cleansed. He paid the penalty for your sins. But the blood of Jesus Christ does not stop there. And I think this is where we mess up so often as Christians. We trust Christ for our salvation. We have faith and we are saved. And we think this, this just like stops. That that's the end. But Jesus Christ's blood shed for you is so powerful. Remember the old hymn, there is power, power, wonder, working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. 
It's true. Jesus Christ's blood is enough to equip you and make you able to do that which He calls you to do. The Scriptures say, be perfect even as I am perfect. Like, I'm not even close, right? But by Jesus Christ, His blood was so powerful and is so powerful. As we we prepare to take the Lord's Supper and remember His blood, get that it is so powerful. It not only saves you, but it transforms you into the image of God. Maybe not in that instant, but over time, He starts chipping away those sharp edges and making you look more and more like Jesus. Jesus' blood is not some antiquated, barbaric reference to an older, less sophisticated age. Jesus actually won, paid for, and ransomed you by shedding His blood as a sacrifice. So Jesus equips you. How are you equipped? You're equipped by the blood of Jesus. Second, you are equipped with everything good. So check that verse. Verse 21. Equip you with everything good. Every tool that you need to finish the race has been given to you by Christ. So yesterday, I'm so grateful, Jason came over and helped, and we, we, had to, we were working on repairing some hardwood due to the renovation, and um, man, we were flipping through the number of tools, it was table saw, chop saw, the reciprocating saw, I mean, we were just going through them. At one point, we had three different nail bars prying up wood, trying not to split wood that loves to split. I mean, it was just, the tools were flowing all over the place. But we got the job done. Because we had those tools. Your tool bag is full. God has given you everything good. Now that may not be fully developed yet, but He has equipped you. The Bible talks about giving people spiritual gifts to serve in the congregation. He has given... uh, Let me pick on Chad. Man, I love my brother. Our offices are right next to each other. I can't tell you enough before I even say what I was going to say how much I appreciate Chad his faithfulness every single week that we have a student pastor that we are not scared to death is going to do something stupid tomorrow like I can't say enough thank you brother but Chad so he's up here leading and he's very gifted right There's some natural talent there that I don't have. You all don't want me singing. We were joking that we might just trade places just for the fun of it today. And I'll sing and he'll he'll preach. And uh, that was overwhelmingly voted down by the elders for some strange reason. So there's some skills and giftings. But Chad coordinated with Angela to be here, Troy to be here, Marcy to be here, uh, Gabby to be here, Troy back there, I think it was. All these folks, everybody to be ready to go. Catfish, were you over there today? I was on this side. I couldn't, couldn't quite see you over there. All these, he got them all here. He had them here for rehearsal. They all had sheets. They got a video of what he was going to do earlier this week so they could practice. I mean, all that administration gift that Chad has is awesome. And every single one of us benefit on a weekly basis because of it, right? I mean, it's all, I mean, the music we have, my goodness. God set him up for that. He gave him the tools for the tool bag in the form of spiritual gifts of administration 
to be able to pull that off. And the shepherding to love these people and bring, bring this team along in a godly manner to exalt Christ in every way. And every single one of you, Chad's visible, right? But there are so many. Miss Sharon, who keeps sharing, helping us remember to pray for, pray for Vacation Bible School on our private page. Thank you so much. I mean, God has gifted her with this just heart for prayer and she's helping the rest of us do that. We could talk about our Sunday school teachers. We talk about our media team who have gifts of service. All this stuff. He's given you the tools. He has given you every good thing. And finally, not only has He given us His blood, not only has He given us the good things we need, I want you to catch this. We're going to start in verse 21. Equipping you with everything good that you may do His will working in us. This is not what we do. This is not us doing the will. Listen to who's doing this. Working in us, Jesus, that which is pleasing in His, God the Father's, sight. Jesus Christ equips you by working in you in a way that makes you pleasing to Almighty God. That's mind-blowing. I know myself and I know a lot of you. And I love you, but that's mind-blowing. That any one of us could ever please God. Remember Jesus' baptism? When He comes out of the water, God the Father speaks from heaven. This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God gets excited when He's pleased. He announced it to the world from heaven. And this Scripture says that's what Jesus does in you. Isn't that amazing? That moment you feel like absolutely nothing and worthless... Remember this passage. God is working in you to make you pleasing in His sight. That's incredible. So that moment you feel like you're nothing. Fight that lie with what the Scripture says. Not some fake platitude, but that Christ is working in you. So what should we do? Last thing, it's, it's really simple. All this, you put all this together in one little phrase that you may do His will. So because of how He relates to us, because of how He equips us, because Jesus is better, let's get to work. Let's do what He tells us to do. Let's love our neighbor. Let's fight the sin. Let's share the Gospel. Let's build a church. Let's build a whole bunch of churches. Let's actually do this because Jesus is so much better. Seek to follow the will of God and trust Him in faith that He is better and He will actually do it. Let's pray together. Father, You're so much bigger and better than we can ever ask or think or dream But You work in us. And so we ask humbly 
to do what you've promised that you are doing and will do. To equip us by your blood. Help us to sing to you. Help us to sing and actually behold the love of God you have for us that would, that would do this for us. We are so undeserving, God. So let us ring out in praise together as one for what You've done, for who You are, and Your gracious shepherding in hope that You will come again soon, Jesus. Because of You we pray. Amen.